episode 297 of the Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Wednesday edition. I am Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going today? Good. Good. Good to hear. Got a lot to talk about. Haven't had a lot of moves since the last time uh, this podcast went off when Jason and I talked on Sunday, but we got a few big moves and, and some branches coming off of those moves that could happen. Uh, talk a little bit of strategy and take some Twitter and email questions again, as we did on Sunday. First, I'd like to remind everybody to follow us on Twitter at Sporer, S-P-O-R-E-R, at Enoseris, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. Rate and review the show on iTunes. We got a 4.5 star rating on 221 reviews, which means we got a couple more since Sunday. Thank you for those. Please go out to iTunes and do that. Definitely helps us. It, it, you know, I went and read those, and I felt very good for 90% of the time. And thank you guys so much for being so positive and, and loving us so much. That felt really great. The critical ones are good, and they made me feel bad. <laughs> but uh, the point is to get better. So uh, we've taken we've taken those uh, comments and, and, and you know, please you know give us the five stars and be critical. That's perfect. Absolutely. Um, and and uh, we'll take your feedback. And and I, I've listened. Uh, I, I'm trying. I will not say uh or ah. Uh, I will not do it. My favorite one ever is still this podcast has been phenomenal for years. Eno in particular is the best <laughs> in the business. I'm not sure why they ruined it by hiring Paul Sport. <laughs> I'm not sure either, but I'm still here a year later. So let's talk about some notable transactions. The biggest one does have a fantasy impact. And, and I would say, you know, across all formats, even though this guy didn't used to register like that, it's Wei Yan Chen. Had a really nice walk year in Baltimore, parlayed that into a five-year deal with Miami. My guess is that the fifth year is really what drove it. I feel like four years was probably available out there to him in many different spots. Gets the fifth year. Talk about a park upgrade. That's huge. Just getting out of not only Camden, but the the AL beast as a whole. Even when those offenses aren't necessarily clicking, it's a tough place to pitch. And... uh Chen has a home run lean. He can he can have home run issues at times. So you transplant from the AL East to the NL East. First off, you're going to the best park there with Marlins Park. Uh, unfortunately, you don't get to face the Marlins lineup, which is one of the the worst ones there. But you still got Atlanta and Philly. Um, you know, City Field's not tough to pitch in. That that lineup is kind of well. We'll see how it's going to shake out. And then Washington. You know, again, not a tough park, but it can be a tough lineup. Either way not facing the same kind of difficult parks that he had. I could see Chen's homers coming down, and all of a sudden we're talking low to mid threes ERA instead of that mid to upper threes and even low fours where he's lived in the past. What do you think of the way in Chen to Miami deal? You know, it's funny. I, I, I wrote a piece for, for ESPN today about Wei and Chen, and uh, I'll get to that in a second because it had a, he has a couple skills that we don't, Often we don't often we talk about him enough here on this show because we're we're ahead of the curve. But you know, as a collective baseball community, we don't necessarily often talk about. It. But uh, you know, I, so I had Wayne Chen's page open, but it hadn't updated yet. Steamer hadn't updated yet with his new park. Oh, okay. and so I just literally refreshed it to see what would happen, and I I can't go back now. But I remember in my head the Steamer projection was like a three six five ERA with a one two three WHIP. And uh, 1.13 homers per nine, because that's what I looked at. Okay. And I refreshed it. Now it's 340 uh, ERA, 1.18 whip, and uh, 0.96 homers per nine. So that's just, you know, park and league factors giving him a boost. 
and that that gives you an idea of how what the kind of magnitude of a boost can be. I think it could go even further because, you know, that that park is cavernous. You know, park and, factors aren't. Yeah. And the outfield defense supporting it is also very good. So even when you do maybe get some shots that could look like they're going to be in the gap, you've got Giancarlo yeah. Stanton, Marcelo Zuna, and Christian Yelich running it down. That also helps. Not that he's a huge fly ball guy. He's actually kind of about even no, for Chen. No, actually, actually, well, it's funny because you you look at you look at it and it looks even one one, but in terms of just straight ground ball rate, I had him so this is what I, this is going into now the the ESPN article. I had him at like 111th out of 130 in Ooh, ground okay. ball rate. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, over the last 3 years and this is, you know, 3 years, so there is some survivor bias in that, you know, if you don't have a good strikeout rate and you don't have a good ground ball rate, you're not going to last 3 years as a starter. Certainly. So uh so you know, there's some of that. But still, 130 pitchers, he was like 111th in strikeout rate and you know, let me. I can get this. I have the piece up actually. So here we go. Uh, this is this is the 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 synopsis here. Uh, 110th in ground balls out of 132, 112th in home runs per nine out of 132, and 79th out of 132 in strikeout rate. So you know, that's I think the way we used to think of Wei Yan Chen Absolutely. as just a guy gave up the homers, doesn't really strike guys out. We have no idea how he does it. But I, I went into the piece and and, and talked about. You know, he's good at soft contact, but, you know, without knowing where necessarily the batted, the batted ball angle is, because he was like 10th um, uh, in in, um, in exit velocity last year. Yeah. You, without knowing the angle, we've talked about this, without knowing the angle, you don't know exactly what's going on. So what's more important is, A, he's a league leader. He's fifth in in, field, in uh, pop-ups since um, since 2013. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and then, B, on the other side of the coin, he limits walks, and not only does he limit walks, uh, you know, on the order of, let's see here, 20th of 132, but um, on top of that, he, uh, I, I did a little bit of work on, um, on, uh, I did a little bit of work on looking at uh, commanding for the Harbaugh Times I know this year, looking at commanding pitches in certain counts. So I looked at breaking balls. And average uh, average height in the zone okay. in in swing and miss counts like two one and one one, and uh, he has the third lowest uh, breaking ball uh, zone like in the third lowest average spot in the zone for his breaking balls in those counts. So basically, when he has to bury a breaking ball, he does. He can do it. Okay, and so that's a positive thing that he buries like the breaking ball thing. down. Okay, yeah, it's that's a command. Huge. He's, he's really good at keeping his curveball low in the zone. Only Zach Duke and Will Harris, two relievers, were better at keeping their curve low in the zone um, in, in those counts. And then another way of looking at a command that I looked at in that thing was uh, your ability to hit the strike zone in a 3-0 count. Just a, it, it's another count where you can't say they're going to throw it outside the zone on purpose. Absolutely. Uh, Any you know, misses are accidental at that point. Right, so because that's the hardest thing about command is, yeah, you can look at walk rate, but some guys walk guys on purpose. So, um, you know, what happened in, in a 3-0 count is he's 30, 32nd of 111 in, in uh, hitting the zone in 3-0 count. So, you know, he's got good command. He can repeat his pitches really well. He gets those pop-ups. He throws the high fastball up and in, and it's got he's got a rising fastball. He throws up and in. He gets those pop-ups, and that's how he gets the soft contact. So in, in the end, I added up his strikeouts and his pop-ups, and subtracted his walks. So these, it's almost like a, the new FIP, right? It's, 
It's um, it's all automatic outs where it almost doesn't matter what your fielders are doing. That's strikeouts and pop-ups. And then walks, which are your fault, and nobody else is alone, supposedly. I mean, you have your catcher and all that, but still. So I did that measure. And by that measure, Wayne Chen uh, falls right behind uh, like Dallas Keuchel and Garrett Cole and then Jason Hamill, Francis Liliano, and ahead of Jordan Zimmerman and Johnny Cueto. So uh, that's some interesting company. Top, top twenty-five starter uh, by this metric, which is a very simple metric. And uh, I think you know he got paid a little bit. He got paid below Jordan Zimmerman, but in some ways he's better than Jordan Zimmerman. And in fantasy, I, I you know I think he might be better than Jordan Zimmerman just because he's been healthier. And he's going to the easier park and leave. Yeah, I, honestly, I really gave him a boost uh, for Chen with, with the news here. And what you're telling me makes me feel like maybe even another boost is in order. Maybe I didn't go high enough because uh, I think some of these factors that you're talking about, again, in a spacious ballpark where he can, you know, uh, even if he makes a few more mistakes – then they're not going to be punished or the, even the same mistakes that he was making in the past. They might not be as punished. And that, and if that home run rate comes down, like you said, that 0.96 that steamer gives way in Chen, I don't know. I, th- I think we could see even lower, uh, you know, they're not the same guys. So maybe it's even dumb to say it, but you know, we saw 30 starts of a 265 ERA out of Henderson Alvarez in this ballpark. Um, and again, it's not just the ballpark and they ha- do have different profiles, but these positive factors that you're talking about, plus four seasons of, of being, you know, league average or better from Chen make me think that we could see a lot more from him in, in 2016. And it might not necessarily be ERA gains. He might not, you know, shave a half run off of the 334 that we saw last year, but the whip could come down. Maybe he could become more of a whip asset. And then you're talking 325 ERA and uh you know 112 113 whip that's wow. pretty special there even if you're only talking about an 18 19% strikeout rate for Chen yeah yeah i mean the fantasy value is a little bit trickier because the pop-ups are just outs and not strikeouts and strikeouts yep. are our category everywhere but you know i think uh there's going to be enough people who just take the steamer as gospel don't see you know more upside i mean we have to remember this is one of the most extreme switches you can make Absolutely. baltimore exactly is the most stream uh, uh, home run parks in the league and, 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 and division too. can't stress that enough. They play so much in division. It's not even just Camden to Marlins park. It's AL East to NL East. That's such a favorable move think, for a guy who got, got hurt by those parks at times. And think about the fact that Chen never faced Toronto last year. And that, that might have a non-zero impact on, on what his ERA and whip look like at the end of the year. And then think about the fact that the Braves, are going to face the Marlins a bunch next year. Braves are going to be there. Phillies, you know, I think their Phillies are, are on the rise. But, you know, liners. Phillies have a lot of young guys too. So somebody like, you know, even when they have some of the exciting guys in there, I think somebody like a Chen can definitely overpower oh, yeah. and, and uh, fool a, a young lineup that he's going to get to face several times. So you've yeah, got to because- be excited with those two clubs on the ledger a whole bunch. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, I think uh, Fagerstrom wrote a, a piece about August wrote a piece about how he's he got one of the biggest differentials in terms of velocity between fastball and curveball and, and how he uses that. So uh, I think that's the kind of thing that, you know, goes beyond my analysis even and in, in talks about how he can sweep sequences pitches and really, you know, get in the head of a guy like a Michael Franco, who as much as we, we like Michael Franco here on this podcast, um, he's more of a swinging, you know, 
go for it kind of guy. Exactly. And that, that's, that gets to the heart of what I'm talking about. They're, they're going to have yeah. some good hitters coming through there in Philly because they're really changing over their, uh, their system. But a veteran like this who knows what he's doing, and I know that's kind of a nebulous thing, but you look at the numbers and you watch Chen pitch. He does know what he's doing. He's going to overpower uh, uh, or at least outsmart some of these young lineups. I also think that the, the kind of the branch of this move, whether it's related or not, it came out right after they signed him on, on MLB Trade Rumors, that now they're not looking so much to trade Marcelo Zuna. And, and so they will keep that, that triumvirate of great defenders in the outfield there with Stanton and Yelich flanking Osuna. You know, I, I like some of the raw skills that Osuna has, but there, there have been um, issues with, with temperament. You know, when he got sent down, he seemed to sulk and, and kind of be openly upset about that. How much does that matter, you know, in the grand scheme? I think about myself sometimes. I'm like, well, who wouldn't be pissed? I, I, I probably would be too, and uh, I <laughs> hope I wouldn't be a, a punk who sulked. And I'm not, even, I'm not even saying he's a punk. I think I would probably be more inclined to be like, oh yeah, you, you demote me, I'll show you. But uh, it's not like he was terrible down there in AAA, so he wasn't even really showing anybody like, uh, you know, saying I'm not even going to try. He still went down there and did his thing, got back up. It was a bad season. You know, 494 plate appearances. He reverted completely back to his 2013 level, uh, almost like that 2014 didn't exist. Where do you currently stand on Marcelo Zuna? And were you more favorable if he had gotten traded, or are you glad that it's, at least for now, looking like he's going to stick with Miami? Yeah, I've had some offers on the table. and I would, I, My eyes got large when I heard that the Texas Rangers were interested. Oh, yeah. And, Man, would that have been an exciting, an exciting difference for for our Zuna owners. As it is, I still like him as a, a guy who can get back to that 20, 25 homer level. He has a nice up the feet, up the middle approach on some level. Um, you know, it's not, it's not. You know, you've heard me talk about how this works for Jorge, Jorge Soler, and he's kind of a mini Soler in that he he hits the ball hard, but not. You know, in the top 10, 15, like Soler did, he, uh, you know, he's up the middle, maybe even a little bit more than Soler, but uh, he also hits more ground balls than Soler, and um, in some ways is more, has a more established baseline. Has been around longer, so you know, there's a there's a reason to believe in his current stats so far from more because he's you know it's 1,400 play appearances and he's a little bit older than Soler, so. You know, I, I still consider him a mini Solaire, but a mini Solaire. It's Solaire light, you know, almost homeless person Solaire in that. <laughs> I, not not quite, but not, you know, he doesn't just doesn't have that upper reaches. Uh, I don't really, if, if one of these two guys hits 30 home runs, I, I, I'll take Solaire three times out of four. And, um, I you know. That. And, and I, I think the, the overall package is definitely brimming. Uh, with more te- fantasy potential for Solaire, because I think that, you know, at peak, not only could he be mashing for that kind of power, but I do think that he can hit the ball hard enough to really have a premium batting average, too. And, you know, Osuna smashes the ball, too, but mm. can he put it all together for that full year? You know, we we, we did see a, a good bit of it in 2014, but even during that season, he had some stretches where, uh, you know, he wasn't at his best. And not just normal run-of-the-mill ups and downs, but but flat-out slumps. And so, uh, you know, he's going to be 25 now for Osuna. And then we're, we're yeah. losing some of that that shine on, on what could be, and, and, and he's becoming more of what he is. And the park and the park is just, you know, it's a damper. It's it really a, if you're is. Not, if you're not Stanton, then you can't, 
you know, hit the ball out of every ballpark every day, then, you, you know, you're just going to see fewer home runs. And I think that's part of why he hits more ground balls than fly balls. But at the same time, he's got good power. So I, I don't know if the Marlins are clearly screwing with him in terms of, you know, telling him what they want out of him, whereas and not really just sort of letting him be himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I think that's what I see in the up and down and the, you know, the sort of roller coaster in terms of his pull center oppo and his ground ball fly ball. All that stuff is going up and down. His 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 strikeout rate is going up and down. You know, I think there's a lot of this is like he's been given mandates on stuff to work on. And, you know, not really just letting him shine. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of what happened with Carlos Gomez, where, you know, they kept telling him to hit the ball on the ground and, you know, walk more. And, and he wasn't that type of player. Carlos okay. Gomez, is, yeah. you know, is, is a free swinging homer machine. So, you know, I think in a way, uh, Ozuna may never be a great fit for his home park and his, and his home management, his whole team, his home coaching. And so I now wish that I had traded Ozuna when uh when people gave me the offers as it is i'm sure that the offers are now worse now that this news has come out and you know i'm gonna probably just hang on to them yeah at that point uh you know you kind of miss that little bubble just sit tight see what can happen and if he does get back on track and ozuna looks a lot more like that 2014 version then maybe you could sell at that point if you are worried Again, we propped up the park so much for Chen, it does have to work the other way, even for somebody like Osuna, who can rake and, and really does hit the ball hard. You got to have that top of the scale capability like Stanton to kind of transcend that park. That's just how how tough that park is. And like you said, if he's you know trying to hit gap shots at home and then lifting on the road, that's not going to really work either. So maybe the change of scenery would have would have been perfect for him. And uh, maybe we can get that back on the table uh, if they could get the right offer. But it probably just weren't getting the right offer either because his value was certainly not at a peak. Let's move on to another uh, impactful signing. I guess anytime somebody with a pulse goes to Colorado, you got to take a look. Gerardo Parra signs a deal out there. And again, we'll talk about what that does with the outfield that they have because I think that's probably the bigger deal here. They have four guys now that are all left-handers. Somebody has to go. This was not set up. Even though Gerardo Parra is probably best utilized as a fourth outfielder, and having all four of these guys would probably be best, as Dan O'Dowd pointed out, former GM of this very team uh, in Colorado, they don't have the luxury to pay 8.5 mil for a fourth outfielder. So in his heart, he was feeling that they're going to move somebody for sure. So I want to talk actually about that first before we get to Para and his value in Colorado because I want to know, first off, who you think is likely to be moved of the three, Carlos Gonzalez, Charlie Blackman, and Corey Dickerson, and maybe some potential suitors that that you see being good fits? It's got to be Carlos Gonzalez because he just hit 40 home runs. He's 30 years old. They only have him under contract for this year and next year. Mm Mm-hmm. He's more expensive than any of their other guys. And there's just more downside than upside left, you know, in terms of, you know, trading him in the future. There's no better time than now. No doubt. To trade. And um, I, I, everybody can see that his defense is slipping. Everybody can, everybody can see that his platoon rates are, are getting worse. And that's what the other teams are saying when they're trying to negotiate with Colorado. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's money off the books for them. And you know they're targeting pitching. They can't get pitching in any other way. That was another thing that they said on, on MLB Network that I agree with. 
you know, other than drafting and, and trading for There's no from, from talking to, you know, Brandon McCarthy brings up, he just brings up cores. Like we're just talking about pitching and I'll, it will be sort of trailing off and I, you know, won't know what to talk about next. And he'll just bring up cores. I mean, and, it's just know, so, so unique like, and so crazy for pitchers. Like frightened of it. They wake up in the middle of the night and, and don't, and they're just like have the sweats. They won't even drink Coors Light. Just out of pro, like <laughs> baseball players, you know, they'll drink, they, a lot of them will just drink any beer that you got. But pitchers, they're weird birds. They will not touch Coors Light or Coors Original. Dan Heron retired and said five things. And one of the five things was how much Coors suck. Uh, it, that was great, by the way. I think Jeremy Affelt <laughs> might have said that too. I don't know, or maybe I'm just yeah. conflating it because he listed, you know, five things I won't miss. I don't. Oh, know. that's right. I think he listed Coors. I yeah. think he put Coors in that. And again, you, you can't blame him. <laughs> Nobody wants to pitch there. So yeah, they, they've got to go out and and get the best pitcher that they can for Carlos Gonzalez. You're right. Some of those warts are going to be pointed out, and it might get him a lesser pitcher, but there's no time like the present to do it coming off a 40-97 season, career-high games, uh, second-best plate appearances at 608. You know, he absolutely destroyed righties, and so, yeah, he might be more of a platoon guy uh, for Carlos Gonzalez at age 30, but I, I still think that he's got enough left and he's at a peak of his value that they can get at least an impactful arm. Now, what about some potential suitors? We've been hearing names like Baltimore. Uh, the Angels need outfield, but do they have something to get? You know, If they took all the money, do you think that that's a fit for the Angels? Which is some of these teams, either the two that I named or any, any others that you can think of, that would be potential suitors for Carlos Gonzalez since we've honed in on him as being the movable piece? Well, the only other name, the only team name that I have that you haven't said that I've heard is St. Louis. Okay. Um, and that's just because they're talking about adding a bat. They they probably should add a bat, and outfield is a possibility for them. But they can add a bat anywhere. They've got and pitching, though. They've got plenty to give. They do have pitching, and changeups play well. So maybe you could put together a package. I know Marco Gonzalez is hurt, but you know a package with Marco Gonzalez and a, and a young guy, you know, in the minor leagues might might be enough to get. Carlos Gonzalez. So uh, you could have a Gonzalez for Gonzalez trade. <laughs> yeah, uh, get that double Gonzalez deal and continue the trend of Colorado outfielders going to St. Louis. Larry Walker, Matt Holliday, Carlos Gonzalez. And then in five years, Charlie Blackman can go there. <laughs> well, I and then, you know, fantasy owners are all rooting for Baltimore. And Gaussman's velocity, I, you know that the Rockies have been collecting velocity. I swear to God. I swear to God if Baltimore trades Gaussman. To Colorado, I'm gonna have words for them. Won't be <laughs> well, you know the funny thing is that it, you know he might be the one guy out there that I wouldn't say would benefit from going to Coors, but He's like got an arsenal that could live there because he focuses on the heat and the splitter. But and they might let him throw a cutter, so you know he might actually you know finally put it all together there, which would would make for uh, some great hot takes. But <laughs> but hell, uh, I mean, I, I love you know, John Gray's profile, but on the fantasy landscape, I just, there's a, there's a ceiling there that is, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, that is really not that great. You know? Yeah. Like Jorge De La Rosa is like the best, Jorge De La Rosa is like the best 
outcome. Absolutely. Or that one year for Ubaldo or a couple. I mean, he had a couple years. But, yeah, a couple years. Yeah. Uh, that they're fleeting. We can we can recall them offhand. You know, you're talking about uh, Jorge De La Rosa's kind of lived there with with a low four ZRA for a lot of different years, and then the 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 big 2013 when he had a 3.49. For 168 innings, uh, he cut his strikeouts way down in order to cut his walks, though. So it kind of sapped the value that he was getting. It might have actually been moot, except for the fact that he had 16 Ws. But uh, you know, he was only trading for some of the ERA for the strikeouts that he used to have. So I think the bottom line value was probably the same anyway. It's just so tough to be successful there as a pitcher that I'd hate to see one of my favorite prospects end up out there. But would that work as a one-for-one, one, or would one side have to do more? Gaussman for, for Carlos Gonzalez. I mean, he he's paid pretty—it's a pretty good contract, actually. You know, it's—you um, know, for he's Cargo. paid— Yeah, I mean, he's paid— Like 16 or 17? I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, I he's think He's got it's, uh, uh, 17 this year, 20 next year for Cargo. It's— uh, So that's 37. It's— it's not actually a ton of, you know, quote-unquote surplus value, uh, considering he's only projected to be about two-win guy, and two wins is about, you know, 15 to 18 million or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, actually, it's, I think this will be, it's a really interesting conversation. It's a lot like the Cole Hamels deal, where it's like, you, you think about it from a lot of different angles. There's one angle that's, you know, well, the, he's paid like he's supposed to be paid, but at the same time, He's paid like he's supposed to be paid. He's not paid more than that. It's only two years and not, you know, having to go out in the free agent market and give, like, Chris Davis, you know, six, eight years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, his defense isn't great, but it's an outfielder, you know, whose defense isn't great. So it's not, you know, it's not like a first baseman DH type. Um, and I don't think he cratered. He, he would crater if he went from Coors to to, uh, to Camden. Um, you know, he I, might not have a 972. Uh, OPS at Camden the way he did at Coors, but I could still see it being in the 900s pretty easily. I mean, this guy, he, he can hit. Uh, he can't I hit think left, it would be like, but he can hit. I, yeah, that's an interesting thing, but it's also a, a little bit of a one-year thing. It's it's not as bad career-wise. Split. I mean, what's his his split for uh, his platoon split career-wise is? Uh, I mean, last year was like 33. He was like a 33. WRC plus against lefties and yeah yeah that, it, uh, it was absolutely absurd. He has a 7.45 career OPS against lefties, so maybe yeah, that's, that's a not... blip and he can get back against uh, get back on track against them. He's always crushed righties, but you're right that 5.30 OPS um, against lefties last year in 168 plate appearances definitely sticks out like a sore thumb, even though he is on a downward trend uh, since 2013. But uh, anyway. You know, I think that it's a very interesting negotiations where they're they're probably discussing a lot of different things about you know negatives and positives and how much his contract is and how bad his defense is and I, I would guess that you know Gaussman would get it done but that you know Colorado will come back and say well you hit 40 homers how many other guys hit 40 homers give give us at least another like low A arm or something and you know somebody that we like that's pretty far away that can you know come in after Gaussman or something so. Um, I, you know, I think that in essence, it is a one for one, but in reality, it'll, it'll have a couple other pieces. I mean, it's very rare to, to, to even see a pure one for one. Absolutely. Um, I think the money is what makes it is what makes it so difficult. All right. Next move. I'm going to have to lean on you fully because I'm not familiar with this gentleman. Brand new guy coming over. Yasiel Sierra is going to sign with the Dodgers. Um, 
again, I don't know a whole ton about him. So if, if you can enlighten me on what you know uh, about Yasiel Sierras joining the, the, the Dodgers, what do you think? Is it a good move for them? Is this going to be like their other Yasiel? What kind of upside are we dealing with here uh, with the uh, – uh, with the right-hander, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to pull up his deal. He's going to get about thirty yeah, million a, guaranteed. Yeah, uh, it's actually very interesting that it's it is about thirty million guaranteed because that's what Rice Iglesias got and Kylie McDaniel when he was at his most excited about Yasiel Sierra said it looked a little bit like Rice Iglesias. They're both relievers coming out of Cuba that are of a good age and have good velocity that people think they can turn into starters. So. So far, so good. Similar age, similar velocity, uh, similar contracts. But, um, you know, I'm only as good as the people that I can ask. So I asked Dan Farnsworth about it, and he wasn't as positive, I don't think. He said, uh, was a, let's see, what I got a quote from here. Solomon Jupiter, hard fastball with effort and a slider that was quick but not a ton of break. Looked more like a reliever to me based on his delivery and only seeing a poor changeup in warm-ups. Uh, at the same time, he mowed through the high school hitters, uh, understandably. So, uh, I, I think uh, we'll see. Okay. You know, people weren't. You have to remember back to Rysel Iglesias yep. before he was Rysel Iglesias, and yep, remember yep, that yep. people people weren't. It wasn't as bad as the the signing for for the for the Diamondbacks. Johan Lopez, but but it wasn't. Johan Lopez was was dogged from the minute they signed him. It was for a million or two million or something. It wasn't a big deal. Absolutely. And it was never a $30 million guy. So you have to you, – you're excited about him because he's a $30 million guy. Teams obviously all wanted him and, and bid him up to that level. Everybody attended the showcase. Everybody was excited. Kylie said he was up to 96 miles an hour uh, in that showcase. At the same time – He's a more of an unknown than anybody coming out of college or high school. Even is uh, you're, you're taking a chance there. So uh, you know, if somebody's trying to peddle him to you as a as a top ten pitching prospect right now, I would pump the brakes on that and and make him more of sort of a top thirty, top fifty pitching prospect, which has a, a much lower bust. You know, has a different bust rate attached to it, more like a you know almost a sixty percent bust rate. All right, so don't get too crazy on Yasiel Sierra right now. Uh, I, I like what you're saying about Iglesias, though, right? So Iglesias coming in the last year, around this time last year, we had just no idea about him. There was excitement. Like you said, it wasn't quite Yoan Lopez, which was not seen as a great move. There was excitement around Iglesias, but it's like, well, what's he going to do? Is he going to relief? Is he uh, relieve? Is he going to start? What what can we expect? I think we're kind of in that who the heck knows with Sierra zone right now, too. Uh, so – just kind of sit back on it. Maybe dynasty leaguers, if you've got to be aggressive on players like this, I get it. But any other league, I'm not really sweating Yasiel Sierra right now. All right, you know, we're going to talk some strategy today, as Jason and I did on Sunday. I've got a question for you. How much, if at all, does ADP, average draft position data, affect your rankings? I think that you're a fool if you don't look at it. And I know there are some people out there that are – really sort of adamant about not looking at ADP and that it's, you know, I can understand the argument that it's kind of the masses in a way that it's not the people in the room with you right now. And especially if you're in an experts league or if you're in a, you know, a really good local league where you know the guys, everyone has done their homework, everybody's got their own rankings, that sort of league. 
I guess they become a little bit less important because ADP is collected from all sorts of different leagues. But at the same time, NFBC ADP, for example, you know, it costs a lot of money to 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 get into NFBC. Even the even the lower levels of NFBC are expensive. These guys are are into it. They're they are they have their own rankings. They know what they're doing. They have different strategies, and that's what becomes so interesting about ADP is that it it kind of mellows out evens out all the different strategies and so you can see this is generally what's happening i can manipulate this by waiting on pitching or doing this or doing that but this is generally what's happening i don't see why you wouldn't look at that i I think that is a tremendous point specifically about nfbc that is the freaking big leagues and and, uh, like you said whether you're doing a 150 dollar draft champions uh draft and hold league or entering the main event you're playing the big leagues there, and, and it's people, like you said, that care. They try strategies. doesn't mean everyone in there is really good, but they're trying things. They're thinking critically, and they're really – I do think it is a good source to look at, and you have to check it to see where the market is. And it doesn't mean you have to adhere to it and, and you know start your rankings with that and then move a few guys up and a few guys down. But again, if you blindly ignore it, partic- and I'm going to stress particularly on these NFBC ones because uh, there you know there are some sites that you know just because they have the ADP data, maybe you don't need to use it. But, but particularly with the NFBC, I do think it is a very useful tool. They're generally that group of players, which is vast, is generally on the cutting edge of fantasy baseball in terms of what they're doing. They were hot on pitching pretty much right as this pitching era started. They weren't afraid. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying they, I mean, being nebulous because it's not obviously everybody in there, but I joined some of these drafts. I've been in with them now for the last three, four years. And the second I stepped into that pool, I realized it's different and it's better. It's more challenging. I really like it. And uh, I do think you need to pay attention to that data uh, to understand kind of what you're getting into for the market at large. And that's why I've been referencing it so much. We've been writing about it. Um, with that in mind, I wanted to ask you uh, a couple guys that you have. We're going for pitchers right now because that's for well, you I and I. We could actually, I think we can we can flush this out a little bit. There's a little bit more I want to say. Okay, no, go ahead. And then we'll get to, because, we'll get to some ADP. Because uh, I think there's actually sort of a concrete way to think about this because I, I'm looking right now at um, Dan Schwartz's excellent piece where he just took steamer projected rankings and put them up against NFBC and, and just had a minus plus minus on them. And, you know, I think that this is really useful because I don't think necessarily that, you know, something on the range of like three to 10 uh, difference in rankings. I, I think you can almost ignore that because of, especially if you're doing snake, if you're doing a snake draft, right? You mean in an overall slotting saying pick seven to pick 17, or are you saying 10 rankings among well, outfielder so, nine to 19 or something? I'm saying overall. So, okay. so for example, uh, Manny Machado is uh, ranked 15th by steamer and goes in, goes nine, right? Yep. That means he has a, a negative attached to his name. And, you know, if you went strict, uh, it went strict steamer, you would take Miguel Cabrera over Manny Machado because uh, Miguel Cabrera is ranked eight. Uh, but then you can start playing these games. You're like, oh, what if I take, because of ADP, what if I take Manny Machado uh, nine, even though I, fe- I feel he's 15, and then on the turn, try to get Miguel Cabrera at 16 because he's being taken there ADP. That's where I think you get into trouble. Because you're getting too tight on your on these ADP and steamer rankings, and you're zeroing in on these numbers in a way that they're not super useful. Because 
and another way that they're not useful, just to, to cover the ways they're not useful. If you see that every pitcher is a bargain by, based on Steamer, that's what happened here. Uh, you know, Steamer uh, pushed all the pitchers up. And so every pitcher has a plus uh, is, 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 is better than where they're being taken. Mm-hmm. If you see that, that, that doesn't mean, oh, I, my Steamer says Max Scherzer is, th- is, is three. And ADP uh, says he's 13. I got to take him eight because he's the best value on the board right now. Yeah. That's not, you know, you have to like look down the line and be like, oh crap, every pitcher, look, Chris Sale is, is, is Steamer's 20 points higher on him than ADP. And oh, look, Madison Bongard, 20 points higher. David Price, 26 points higher. So then you say, okay, all right, I'm going to use that to sort of think about my pitchers generally. Uh, maybe I'll use that to to take two pitchers in the top four or five rounds because Steamer's telling me these guys are, are valued better. But that doesn't mean I need to take a pitcher in the first round because because Steamer says so and they're the best values according to ADP or whatever. So those are two ways I wouldn't use it. But at the same time, if I'm looking at taking Chris Davis in the second round and Steamer says he should be going in the seventh round, I'm going to listen to that. You know what? So and, where, where's where's your cutoff though? What if you like a guy? Steamer's got him in seventh round, but you really like him. Let, let's you know who this probably was last year? Nolan Arenado. Steamer probably had something that was in that seven to nine round range, and he started going in the you know three to six round range in NFBC. By the time it was over, talking like third round almost for Nolan Arenado. Right, right. So um, and I took him up there in one of those. I, I went I went like fourth round on him. How high do you go or probably the answer, is it just case by case? Does it have to be case by case or do you have set boundaries well, that you'll you break? Good, you set up a good example because I liked Arenado last year too. And, you know, in that case, what I try to do is, for the most part, fiddle with the projections, right? Okay. Uh, and that can give me a better sense. So let's say right now, Chris Davis, the reason he's, he's being ranked 97th by steamer and 27th by ADP is because steamer has Chris Davis hitting 236 with 33 homers. I think it partially that's probably because they have him at the neutral park factor. They don't have him going back to Baltimore right now. They probably have a high uh, weight on, on or a decent weight on 2014. And honestly, that's a different guy. Uh, maybe uh, well, yeah, you, there's a lot of explanations for what happened that year for sure. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so there's there's all sorts of reasons that you can bump that up instead of just, uh, you know, saying, OK, uh, I'm going to bump that up. You know, it's, it's hard to just do that on the fly. So what I would do is actually try and get into the machination of the of your projections, if you can do that um, and, and bump them up or at least find a guy that you think he can do the same as. Right. So uh, right above Chris Davis is Jose Bautista, who's projected for 257. Uh, 33 homers and better runs in RBI totals, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say you you think that Chris Davis can be that guy. Well, then look at at Jose Bautista's steamer ranking, 37, right? And and compare that to ADP and say, okay, I think he can be as good as Jose Bautista. Uh, so I'm going to bump him up to the 40s. And if I know he's going 27, but if he lasts till you know 35, 40, then I'm going to take him. Okay. Uh, so I, I would do that. If you can't if you can't fiddle with the projections inside the inside the machine uh, of your projections, then find a comparable player that you can say, oh, you know, I, I think he can beat that. You know, uh, J.D. Martinez, Steamer ranks him 62nd, and he's 273 with 27 homers. So you say, okay, I think Chris Davis can do better than that. 
I'm going to move Chris Davis into at least 50, 40, whatever, and then and then do it. So, so uh, th- that's that's something that I will do if I if I'm not all, uh, all the way prepared. Um, and and I think it's a good way to to also you know as good, excited as you were about Nolan Arenado, you know he probably went past what we the most excited people about him, but still. You had to come up with. I think he can be Adrian Beltre, right? Mm-hmm. So then you had you could look at where Adrian Beltre is going and saying, okay, Adrian Beltre, even though you know ADP on uh, Arenado is is six and Steamer is you know seven eight, I think he can be better than Adrian Beltre, and Adrian Beltre is going in the fifth, so I can push Arenado all the way up to like fourth fifth. I like you know that. I mean? So when when you do want to stretch out a little bit on a guy. Don't just give a nebulous, I think he can be better than this projection. Actually find a projection that you think it can be like and see where that one ranks. Because I do think sometimes yeah. we overrate something. Oh, man, 27 home runs? No way. I think he can hit 32. I mean, it's five homers, but is it really going to you know, raise him up as much as you want him to? So find somebody that has those 32 homers and the similar surrounding numbers. Okay, it has him in the fifth round. I will take him maybe at the end of the fourth because that's your best chance to get him or something like that too. Right, right. Um, I, I like that. I, and again, I think our overarching point is that these average draft values can in fact uh, – these average draft positions can have value. They definitely you know, I had, I, and I had – I was using – I was looking at average draft value – and and my numbers for for uh, what 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 league was it last year? I, I finished like fourth or something. Was um, a tout uh, mixed, and I had I had Lucas Duda as like a fifth round guy because of OBP. It was an OBP league, and he was just falling and falling and falling. And I, you know, in the fifth round, I thought, well, should I take him? And I thought, well, you know, there's there's three other guys like him, mm-hmm. you know. And the ADP for him is is lower, you know. That's the sort of thinking I think where ADP comes in. You say, okay, well, at least I'm gonna wait till the next round. So sixth round comes around. Well, he's still ahead of his ADP, and there's still these two other guys that I can take if it doesn't work out, you know. That's and a then huge I, point that you're making, by the way, of of similar guys. Don't yeah. get married to the one guy when the skill sets, a lot of times can really be the same. At your top end, I get it. People thought Nolan Arenado could be special. You're in Colorado getting extra boost there. Okay. But when you're talking about the Duda types who can have some comparables pretty easily with that kind of profile, you don't have to just get married on the one player. Yeah. All right. Uh, now I want to, now I want to get some ADP kind of standouts for you or some, some guys that you're looking at their current ADP or, or uh, Dan's rankings there that are going to differ greatly for you, whether, um, if you got some hitters, that's fine, but I'm really focused on on starters uh, right off the bat here, some starting pitchers. Just a couple starting pitchers that you look at the ADP and you know your ranking is going to differ severely, whether higher or lower. It doesn't have to be uh, just guys that you're higher on. Yeah, you know, I think it's really – I want to take an ace. I want to alter my strategy to, to fit the times and – take a pitcher earlier at the same time i look at these pitchers again and i think geez i could i mean i guess kershaw is above and beyond the best but at the same time i think matt scherzer is amazing and you know this could be the year that he wins 20 and loses five sort of year because 
if the Nationals, you know, put it together and have one of those big rebound type years, you know, he's going to be great. And if the offense gels, Arenado's, I mean, Rendon is good. And, and, you know, they sort of get it together. You know, he could win 20, 24 games and, and lose three. You know, I mean, that's the kind of talent. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't I think he could actually narrow the gap with Kershaw and, and be right there. So uh, those two guys I'll put up above and beyond. But then you enter the sort of a uh, tier with Arietta, Sale, Granke, Bumgarner, Fernandez, Harvey, Price, Cole, DeGrom, Strasburg, Kluber. I'm going to take Keuchel out. We've talked about him. I'm going to take Keuchel out. I'm going to put, I'm going to leave Archer, Felix Hernandez, Carlos Carrasco. I'm going to leave those guys in. And that's where the tier ends for me. But that was a big, that was a lot of names I just said. Absolutely. It's so thick up there as, as viable fantasy number ones, which is, you know, for me at least a little bit different than, than ace in uh, IRL, if you will, in real life. Uh, if, if you got somebody, I think, I think you got about 15 deep that can easily lead your staff. And uh, I guess one guy that you could say that you're kind of going to be lower on then is Keiko. You're taking him out of that grouping. How far down are you putting him on, on starting pitchers right now? Is he out of your top 25 or is he at the back end of that 25? Well, you know, what's, what's kind of funny is that when that thing I was saying earlier about, you know, how all uh, of the pitchers are going lower than their, uh, than their steamer rank, Keiko's the only one that's the opposite. Um, oh, and Granky, but Granky's on the order of one. Dallas Keuchel is going five spots higher than his steamer projection. So already steamer is is baking in that, you know, his history and the fact that he last year had the best strikeout rate of his career, including the minor leagues. So, you know, there's uh, there's some, I think, strikeout reg- regression coming. And of all the guys I've named, he's the only one who doesn't, you know, get to 200 strikeouts. Okay. You know, I mean, it- falls 20, 20 strikeouts short even. So... Uh, you know, I think uh, I named 14 guys after the top two. So that's basically 16. So that means if I'm taking the last the last ace, I'm taking Carlos Carrasco, Felix Hernandez, or Chris Archer. That's by ADP. Mm-hmm. That's I feel pretty I feel pretty sexy time about that. Right. And and uh, Steamer says Carlos Carrasco, who's rated last of those by ADP in at 53, which means I can wait to the uh, the fourth round to get Carlos Carrasco. Steamer says he's 30. He's a second round talent. Wow. So that I would feel really good about. And I- and and let's say some guys out there is loading up on on pitchers and takes two mm-hmm. before I get before I get to mine. My backup plan is Noah Syndergaard, who Steamer has at 55. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, who Steamer has at 46. And Dallas Keuchel's probably going to go ahead of me, so that means I have I've baked in two spots, and my really I have a chance at Felix or Carlos or Chris Archer. So that's a trio of guys. And really, if it got down to it, and it was the fourth round, and you know it was a really pitching heavy attack in my league for whatever reason, and I was in the fourth round, and all that was left was Felix and Carlos, then I then I you know quote unquote reach uh, beyond my plan. But uh, but that, that's again what we're talking about with you know grouping guys and and staying on top of what's happening in the draft and and not you know not ending up with John Lester as your ace as much as I think John Lester is okay and Steamer has him at 31 I feel a little bit more risk with him and like Sonny Gray and Dallas Keuchel those guys are for Agreed. me a, a step down I, d- I definitely uh, I can 
hear you on those names. Gray still won. I'm in the same position I was last year. I'm a big Sonny Gray fan. I really am. But as a top 20 pitcher, I can't do it because he yeah. needs to do those uh, ratios again. The ZRA and WHIP needs needs to be that excellent again for 200 plus innings because he doesn't have the strikeouts. He came out guns blazing last year with the strikeouts for Sonny Gray, and I was looking like I was going to be a complete fool and totally miss on the call. Instead, ratios held. For so many innings, it was great. He's a very good pitcher, but those strikeouts did come down, and he started to slip down the rankings, uh, even though he had a fantastic season. In fantasy, you kind of need that whole package to really be a fantasy ace. So, um, And then there is some – Lester, I, I hear you. I'd be totally fine if Lester was my number two. I just wouldn't feel great if he was my number one. Uh, so, all right, good stuff there on how you can best use ADPs for your uh, draft preparation and, and when you're making your rankings. Now we're going to take a couple of Twitter and email questions. First one's from Adam Roberts on Twitter. I believe it's at L-C-C-U-L-U-S-3. I don't know what that is as a word. That might be a capital I at the beginning. could be a capital <laughs> I in the middle. I don't know, but Adam <laughs> simply wants to know where are you drafting Carlos Gomez? And I will tell you, you know, that his current ADP is as 56th overall and the 18th outfielder. Where are you, Eno Saris, taking Carlos Gonzalez? Uh, Gomez, excuse me, Gomez. Carlos Gomez for Houston. I'm worried about him. I'm worried about him. I'm worried about the drop-off in steals. I'm worried about the fact that a deal to the Mets was scuttled for health reasons. And then, you know, as much as his agent, who of course is going to say, everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's all good over here, guys. Don't know, what, don't know what their money. problem is. Yeah. But, uh, you know, after all that, he was, he was hurt. You know, he got to Houston. He was hurt. Oh yeah. It, it played out exactly how the Mets would have feared then because you know, that yeah. Houston got a muted version. He was in there in the playoffs at least, but they got a 670 OPS for 163 plate appearances because he was clearly hobbled. I will say to the, your stolen base point though, at least in those 41 games, Gomez was back at a 10 for 13 clip running the bases. So he was trying to give the contributions where he could I remember. He had some pretty good standout defensive plays for Houston as well. He was given his contribution contributions where he could be was clearly not a hundred percent health wise. And I think that's gotta be your biggest concern with him. But again, at least he ended the season on the field. He was in the playoffs. He was actually hitting pretty well, hit a couple bombs. I know he hit a, a mean one in, in Yankee stadium with a killer bat flip after it. Uh, definitely got that one burned in the brain, hit another one in the KC series, hit 250 in that series with three hits uh, in, tw in 12 at bats. I still like Carlos Gomez. I really do. I love the power speed. That I'm really drawn to those profiles. I don't mind this ADP, this uh, this 18th outfielder, this 57th and 56th pick overall. I don't know. I guess it depends how my my first couple rounds shape up, but. I'm not I'm not too bothered by this. I can see myself getting at least a share or two in the fourth round of a 15-team league. How low are you trying to go with him then, given your concerns? Well, let me just uh, play a little would you rather. I sure. mean, you've got uh, Adam Jones. I'll take Gomez. Adam Jones is just so not Steamer. special. Steamer says Adam Jones's projection is worth 30 uh, ranking points, or is, is 30, 30 ranks higher than Carlos Gomez. I can understand but, that because he doesn't but, have volatility. Adam Jones is stable. Yeah. and and Carlos Gomez's runs and RBI projections, 77 and 70, are light. 
Uh, it's a playing time light projection, 553 babies, but that goes to hell. It does, and, and that makes sense. But if you're going to do that that comparison, and, and we can't do it because we, we don't know who it'll be, but I also get to tack on whatever plate appearances I, I replace Gomez with if and when he goes down. And then all of a sudden, you know, add that to the bottom line as well. And I think it's going to cut it a lot, a lot closer when you're talking about uh, a comparison with somebody like Adam Jones, who definitely gets boosted up because he's a very stable asset. Now, he did run into some trouble last year, only played 137 games. First time we've really seen him with a down games played season in quite a while since 2010, 149, 151, 162, 160, 159, and then last year's 137 for Adam Jones. But he still popped 27 homers. 82 ribbies doesn't run anymore crazy thing is we know that stolen bases are kind of a uh, uh, a desire stat and, and and something that the manager can control I would not be surprised if Adam Jones had a random spike I'm not going to project it obviously that's just, that's just mm-hmm. not how it works but I think we see it he's a lot crazy like I mean, he's crazy if, like if he's feeling <laughs> fine for a full year I feel like he's going to look at me like, oh, I haven't stole double digits in, in two years. I, I got to change that. And again, that's yeah. totally a feel thing that I'm not going to bake into my projections. I'm just going to – this time next year, if we see a 15 stolen base season, I'm going to say, yeah, I, 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 it just doesn't surprise me. Look at what Brandon Phillips did. And again, I'm not just going to cite outliers and say that's why you have to uh, – that you have to project that, but just don't be surprised. So I, I can see the the desire to roster somebody like an Adam Jones, get that stability with maybe a tinge of upside if he gets back in the 280s, plays another full season, and like I said, ups the stolen bases. But in the fourth round, again, depending how my first three rounds are, I might be interested in the volatility a little bit more, take my gamble that Gomez can kind of get back to what he was before last year, and I think that's why I lean toward him. But again, if I already had three higher-risk assets – uh, in the first three rounds, then maybe Adam Jones is a stabilizing force that I need to kind of, hey, let me make sure I get something stable here and not get a Carlos Gomez who could play 40 games and be done. I, 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 all right. Well, all right. Here's a, here are a couple other outfielders who have higher projections, steamer projections, and lower ADPs than Carlos Gomez. Okay. Uh, three. Billy Hamilton, Corey Dickerson, Jason Hayward. Corey Dickerson. You, it, you, I could, you could give me a round. You could take Carlos Gomez. I could take somebody else, and then I could wait around and take those three, one of those three guys. Corey Dickerson, you're looking at a similar situation there, so I, I can get those two right close to each other. Um, and Corey Dickerson gets that high uh, on projection uh, above uh, Carlos Gomez with a, proje- a, a projection of 485 plate appearances. Because those or, are going to be monstrous, and I bet he's got over a 300 batting average in those. So I get that. Yeah. I've got those two very and close. Jason Hayward? New hitting coach, new ballpark. Maybe oh, you one of the know I ballparks. love Hayward. I'll, 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 I can get Hayward above Carlos Gomez. But oh, okay. uh, I've got Gomez and Dickerson literally ranked right next to each other. I've got Hayward. Hamilton, you just you're just too worried that there's it's like tiny. It's a that that the floor is is zero. That the floor is out of baseball or, or you know minors or whatever. Or, yeah, or just my some Emilio Bonifacio thing where I got 30 stolen bases and a 210 batting average or something. Right, right. I here's the thing. Speed was way down last year, and so there is some value to guys. Obviously, there is value to guys like Billy Hamilton. I totally get that, but. 
I don't know. I, I, I'm still looking elsewhere. I'm I'm on board with like a D Gordon, a Jose Altuve. I'll get that that speed first, speed only for D Gordon. Oh, batting average too. But uh, that speed first asset in the middle infield, I just don't love taking it in the outfield. So I admit I've got a bit of a bias against Hamilton uh, in terms of how I value him. But I get that in raw dollar values, his stolen bases mean a lot, and you're still talking about somebody who can do 70 stolen bases if he starts to move things along uh, with his development. But I'll let somebody else take that risk. With Dickerson and Hayward, I'm 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 there with you. I I there's all three of those guys: Gomez, Dickerson, Hayward. I like all three of them, so I've got them all close enough that. It's really going to depend on those first three players, like I said. I know that's a little bit of a cop-out, but you got you got to do team formation. If I'm just ranking them right now, it is Gomez, Dickerson, Hayward. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's interesting. Um, there is It does seem like a, a bit of a grouping there. Yeah. And I think that's probably – I think you might see Gomez's ADP go the other direction based on steamer projection – uh, being so low on playing time, and then also the fact that you you have these credible alternatives. So, um, you know, I, I as much as I uh, I like Gomez's game, and it was one of the most exciting moments of my fandom in, in years when when the Mets traded for him. Um, I am a little bit worried that uh, I'd rather wait a little bit and, and see. And uh, you know, especially you know, if I'm doing an AL only type thing then I'm going to take Jones over Gomez because of what you were talking about in terms of projectability and just, you know, sort of plugging him in for, for the plate appearances, not really having the, I know that Jones had some health issues last year, but I don't put them on the same level as Carlos Gomez. Absolutely not, nor should you. And I totally agree with that sentiment right down to the fact that yes, at, at that point in the AL only, I do have to flip them because the pool I'm dipping into, even if Gomez, you know, if Gomez gets hurt, uh, those tack on stats that I was talking about, they're just not going to be as pretty as they are. Even in a 15 team mixer, I feel like I'm getting a much better outfielder than I am in a 10 team AL only. So on that, I definitely agree with you. Playing time is such a valuable currency in those leagues where it's thin and not having to dip into the pool regularly uh, of free agents can really uh, save you in leagues like that. So I, I totally understand flipping those two uh, in that respect. Well, it kind of makes me wonder if you shouldn't, and I don't know, there's got to be a way to do this actually by, um, more rigorous way, but maybe you should wait plate appearances. Maybe you should actually put plate appearances into the projection system, even though it's not a category. You have and, to. And Health is a value. skill. No, but I, I mean in terms of when you're talking about AL only versus uh, versus a, a more shallow league, put plate appearances in there at, you know, as a counting stat almost in order to weight this idea of health. You know what I'm saying? I, and the idea of projectability. We should run that uh, by Jeff. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's already baked in there with runs and RBI and the fact that all your entire all your entire line of, of stats is comes out of the, the number of plate appearances you're projected. But maybe it's a different way. Maybe it's talking about uh, variance and talking about if there's a way to look at the projections and see if some guys are more tightly clustered in terms of the variance around their projection, and some guys have a have a wider variance around their, you know, because I think Carlos Gomez versus Adam Jones is is actually kind of like a 
a fundamental question in, in, in fantasy baseball when it comes to American League only teams because it's like, isn't the, you know, obviously Carlos Gomez has more upside than Adam Jones, but he also has more downside. So his, the band of outcomes is wider. And, you know, is there, is there an ideal way to, to, to build your team where you've got, you know, half a dozen guys with the wide band and half a dozen guys with the narrow band? I think this is really important and needs to be figured out. I'll uh, maybe go ask uh, Alex Chamberlain, Jeff Zimmerman, our, our resident uh, numbers dorks, maybe Podhorse wants to get in on this. It's the kind of thing that that uh, you you might have, you would really want to ask the numbers because well, uh, we can talk about you know strategy wise. I can say that it, one of my AL labor teams, the team that was I think twelfth, the worst team or or one of the worst teams, uh, I think probably had a lot of guys that had the wide variance bands and that i got be surprising and you and you rolled a lot of snake guys i yeah. i think uh, in addition because you said you know figure this out i i think the numbers will probably tell you that you, you, you want to get those guys that are stable but you also have to factor in because there's some usage wide scope too it doesn't have to be a deep league necessarily to play this into uh, uh wading into the plate appearances it depends how your management style is in season colette often talks about how He's, you know, he wants to get better at being an in-season manager. He doesn't think that he does everything, you know, gets on the waiver wire guys as well. So I think he would want to go with a lot of the lower variance guys to where he maybe he, he isn't leveraged of having to get into the player pool all the time and make the right bids and all that sort of stuff. Whereas somebody else who fancies himself, you know, the in-season wheeler and dealer all over the waiver wire and fab bidding and trading and all that, they can take more of the high variance guys because they trust themselves, you know, to to properly replace them. I think it's kind of a team construction, uh, you know, feel for how how much do you want to have to work on the team would should depend how much you are, are going to get these Carlos Gomez's of the world. And you know, honestly, as much as I think that you know, spending seven to ten dollars in an AL only league on a top prospect seems like a, a, a foolish way to go. I know I see Chris List do it every year. Absolutely. And I know why he's, I know why he's doing it is because it, of this variance thing where he's saying, yeah, I could go get a fourth outfielder for five bucks. Yeah, some some right? some and, yeah, and play, Tyler Collins, whatever. Dude. But, but when Francisco Lindor comes up, he he'll be on a team already. I, th- and I think a lot of that worth star a star three months could be worth more to me than a blah six months. Exactly, and you know what we get too focused on as a fantasy community, or at least uh, probably at large, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are saying, I don't do this, but getting too focused on March and April, who's in, who's on the roster, who's in the mix right now, and not thinking about it as much of a six-month season. I'm not saying you draft somebody who's going to get a September call-up because it's going to be there for your stretch drive, but even looking out and thinking, okay, who's going to get called up in May? You can piece it together uh, You know, if you draft one of these hot rookies who might not be called up until May, especially in a mixed league, fill in for a month, month and a half. And then that asset that you could be getting, think about it. Like the guys that we saw last year, the Chris Bryant, you mentioned Lindor, Correa. It's not always going to happen like that. But even if he's just a, a, a plus asset, they don't all have to be all world historical guys like the guys last year. But even just somebody in a rookie of the year contention, Jacob deGrom in 2014, think about what he was. Granted, he came out of nowhere, so nobody was really drafting him. Uh, but, you know, those those, those types, Noah Syndergaard going into last year. Maybe some people will be like, I don't know when he's going to get called up. I don't want to mess with him. 
But if you take that chance and you can be patient, that's another thing. You, ha you have to know your own patience though. I know some people who, uh, this more in fantasy football than baseball, but he even does it in baseball. He has no feeling to a player. He will cut anybody at will and it often serves him well. He's just kind of burning and churning. I am a lot more patient. It's probably because I am, you know, a lot more baseball focused over the long term. But sometimes it can hurt. You sit on a guy too long waiting for him to come back. Maybe you should have, uh, you know, gone for the high variance young asset. I think I think you got to tailor it to what you're willing to deal with in season, though. And think longer about the season. Think more about May and June toward the end of your draft for somebody like yeah. a Tyler Glass now who could get called up over your Mike Leak of the world. And and you know, obviously you can Mike Leak would go earlier. You can get Tyler Glass now later. But why fill that spot with a blah Mike Leak when it could be somebody special like a Blake Snell or a Tyler Glass now? Do you agree? Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. And generally, you know, the the deeper the the shallower the league, the the less you the should you, you need to be doing. Yeah, that. The, yeah. And the more you should shift towards the the high upside. I mean, uh, who's a guy? Nomar Mazzara, right? He's going to be a top 10 prospect next year who's close to the big leagues. Yeah, for Texas doesn't, Rangers. Doesn't obviously have a slot right now to play in. Uh, but there's there's always injuries. He could, he could get, ahead, get, get ahead of Joey Gallo, that sort of deal. I think there's a case to be made that he should be drafted. You know, he, he can be your one high-variance $5 piece in, a, in, an AL, uh, in an AL only league. Yep. Your kind of stash guy, where you hope to draft him, reserve him, and find something on the wire to just plug in until he comes up. That that you don't you do one of those in in an AL only, but in a in a ten team mixed league, you only really want the very best prospect in baseball who's close. I don't. I, I wish I had uh, more top hundred lists out right now. I mean, but. I guess he's going to break camp, so Seager doesn't count. But but obviously he's going to yeah. be up there. Uh, but yeah, to your point, you want the 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 close cream of the crop to get kind of a somebody who could become a, a a outfielder number four for you. You don't really want to hold on to that in a ten team mix. Like again, these all have to be league specific. I really like your point about at least do one of those high variance guys like a Nomar Mazar because yeah, that guy uh, did get a taste of AAA last year. He's only going to be 21 coming into this season. He has raked, he's hit everywhere. Uh, the only struggle that he had was in the Sally league, which I believe is a pitcher's league. Anyway, I think it is tough on hitters. It's known to be, but he was only 18 years old. He has 692 OPS there everywhere else that Nomar Mazzara has gone. He's done at least an 800 OPS. You can't just go off the performance, but he's also, he also has all the pedigree to go with it. I believe he yeah. was a, a, a big J2 awesome. signing. He's been on top 100 prospect lists before. He's going to jump way up them this year. You got the skills profile. I mean, everything is there and the performance is there. That's how somebody like this at age 20 just finished a, a two-level season at double and triple A. That's a great name, by the way, for people that aren't quite in on the prospects yet. You're going to want to know him at the back end of your 15-team mixers uh, as well. I think that's somebody that you can wait on because you could get an 800-something OPS for four months, and that's worth a lot. Yeah, and – you know, I think that, that you can make the case that like you should have a stash like that even in your ten team mixer because the replacement level is going to be so high. Oh, it's and especially so if you're super drafting. Easy to do it, yeah. 
if you're drafting early in the in the in March or something, you know, what if Nomar you know, pushes his way on to um, uh, pushes his way onto the uh, the roster yeah, from breaks, the get go? Breaks camp, you know. Uh, uh, then you're the one who owns him. So I, I have wait, I have midseason Kylie McDaniel's midseason um, uh, prospect update that he did, and uh, he actually did a top twenty six uh, then, so we can actually uh, look at it. He had Mazzara ten. Um, you know, some of these guys are too far away. Moncada, uh, Urias, Urias. That, you know what? That's he's he's. We've talked about how he's polished for a young guy. Uh, Giolito. Uh, J.P. Crawford, he might be up gonna, in July. Yeah, I was going to mention him. For, He's number for three. You He's know, a shortstop, too. There's no reason, I don't think, for a 10-team mixer to have Franklin Barreto or maybe even Austin Meadows because, you know, that's they're not likely to come up this year. You're and saying there's no reason to get those two guys like Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Too far out in a 10-teamer. You are kind of wasting the pick at that point. Dream outlier scenarios could happen that speed them through, but we're not. The, the path is you got to move like ten roadblocks. When you're talking about Nomar Mazzara, you got to move like one roadblock, like one underperformance, yeah. one injury, or just him dominating. It's not like Delano DeShields uh, is entrenched out there, and we know Josh Hamilton's health record. My dog agrees as she's squeaking her toy. She totally agrees about Nomar Mazzara, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I like those names that you're that you're talking about that need to go even in ten team mixtures because you can easily replace Urias after you got him in your starting lineup, throw him on your reserve, get a capable pitcher, and who knows when that guy's gonna come up, but he could be impactful immediately. All right, you know, yeah, I think that I think just to finish it off, like if you're doing AL only, I think you go even further down and a guy like Brad Zimmer, who, you know, double A for the Indians, they or need his brother, by help. the way. Yeah, Brad Zimmer. Yeah, is, is 21. Um, Aaron Judge is 22 on this list, um, and uh, Clint Frazier is 26. Those guys, they're you know they have different bus rates, and they're they're you know they they they're not as attractive, but uh, they're close. And you know, three or four dollar lottery ticket there might be worth it. So anyway, the the, the thing is, I I also think we have to readjust our uh, our timeline of of proximity. I think that's something that we can learn from last year as well. Again, a historical class, we can't expect that kind of volume to come through again. But we don't have to look at a guy who you know maybe only got 50, 50 plate appearance taste of double A last year. We don't have to look at him and think he's a full year away. He could be two good months in triple A from getting right up. Teams are being more aggressive now. And I think that means we in the fantasy market have to be as well. We don't know when they're going to come up and that, that scares people not knowing, but it's a six month season and you're not using all of your reserve players. Anyway, they're reserves. So a couple of them being high upside potential prospects, is not a bad thing. And this is a change for me uh, from where I, I've been, you know, a couple years back. I used to not really mess with the prospects in 10 and 12 team leagues, but the league has changed. And I think we have to change with the times or else you're going to get left behind and you're never going to get these guys. You mentioned Chris Liss. He got Carlos Correa for a dollar in, in, in uh, I think it was AL Labor. And, and took off from there, or, or was it AL Tau? But either way, one of the AL leagues, he bought him for a dollar on the waiver wire, I think, bef right before he came up. And look what, look what that did for him. He took a shot on a guy who maybe he was going to have to keep on his reserve for a while. I think in those leagues, you have to activate them for one week, take the dead hit, then you can put him on reserve. 
but he took yeah. that gamble and it paid off handsomely. And he continues to have success in those leagues, taking gambles on, on high risk assets like that. So I think you have to open up your scope a little bit more. No one remembers if you, you finish, you know, fifth, sixth, eighth. Exactly. So, you know, don't just always draft high upside. So you're finishing first or 12th, but you got to mix it in and give yeah. yourself a chance to really win it with, with players like that. All right, you know, we gave him a great podcast today, if I can say so myself. So we're going to cut <laughs> it there with just the one question. We'll get more of your questions going next time out. I got a couple emails here that we we're going to get to, but we're running along. Sleeperpod at gmail.com. Please hit us with your fantasy relevant questions. You can ask keeper and trade questions, but they're, they're going to fall further down the list uh, in terms of what I'm going to select since they're really spe specific to what you've got going on. So things that are a little bit more broad, even something like where are you drafting that guy like we we got off on that whole conversation based on Carlos Gonzalez. Another guy is going to ask, uh, which we'll get to uh, on Friday. I'm, I'm shifting from points to Roto. What, how's that like? And we get to talk about that. So questions like that are what we're looking for. Again, sleeperpod at gmail.com. You know, we're going to finish with a little bit of off topic, a little bit of fun. I got to ask you, I can just get a two minute deal. What was the best new beer that you had over the holidays? Hmm. Oh, I had a uh, a trillium, uh, not trillium. I had a treehouse, uh, had treehouse Julius for the first time, and it was sent to me. Is that uh, like orange Julius at all? It is. It's uh, and it actually kind of looks like orange Julius. That's interesting. It's it's sort of a hazy orange, okay. and it actually has some things in common taste wise with an orange Julius because it's it's very fruity and creamy in a way in terms of mouthfeel. Uh, I think that it has a lot to do with Julius. So um, it was really good. It was really good. I like orange Julius's too. So I, those, are, uh, those are baller. I always get them when I go to the mall. I don't go to the mall it, enough. but uh. The mall, man. I, I remember back. I used to go to the mall where um, the hip-hop guys, uh, Chris Cross. I, went to, I, I saw Chris Cross at the mall a couple times. That's pretty awesome. That was the mall that I went to That's when I was a kid. Young. Yeah, I used to and, go to the mall all the But time. it was so exhausting in terms of, it was such a scene back then well yeah I, I maybe it still is but for that same age group that's the thing it, 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 <laughs> it, it stays a scene for 12 to 15 and 16 year olds we're just not that age bracket anymore so why the hell would we go to the mall i mean i guess think about it when you go to the mall now what are you doing weaving in and out through a bunch of uh 16 year olds on their phone going to abercrombie and fitch uh, yeah. and what have you so yeah. yeah but i don't think i don't think it's as much of a scene i think they they've generally sort of fallen off because it's just i go to malls and they seem less crowded and there's fewer people around well there's back in the day especially i was in atlanta malls i was at the atlanta mall and that was like hip hop like people were like crisscross wore their pants backwards because of the mall you know what i mean <laughs> like they wore it backwards to to make everybody look at them at the mall so uh, I don't think they used to be. You're definitely right there. So. Online, online shopping, I'm sure, has contributed to that. That's yeah. what the kids are now. They're all online. The scene is Snapchat. They're all oh. online. Those kids. We got to get with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, great episode. We'll be back on Friday. We're going to hit our regular Tuesday, Thursday schedule starting next week. Um, we're, we're back in the swing of it, you know, and it feels great. So we'll be back to talk baseball in a couple days. Until then, take care. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>